2: We give you two themes in one. First, we talk to Dr. Zeke Emanuel, oncologist, bioethicist, and one of the architects of the Affordable Care Act, who with his new podcast, Making the Call, will talk to us about the ethical questions that surround COVID-19 and how this affects sports. After that, we'll be chatting with former star of the U.S. Women's National Team and Fox Sports commentator, Ali Wagner to break down women's soccer in the U.S. and how the outbreak has halted its momentum. In this show, we provide you with topics that deal with the pandemic and how it directly affects the sports world. Our guests, therefore, are almost always stakeholders inside this world, from athletes and reporters, coaches and executives, they're members of this community given us their point of view from their respective sports. But today, we decided to bring in a medical expert, Dr. Zeke Emanuel, who could not only tell us the effects of coronavirus, but also how society ethically handles it, or rather, should handle it. And for sports fans who are desperately waiting for a club or team to return, it's important to remember the issues that come with rushing to a return to action. Joining us now is Dr. Zeke Emanuel. Dr. Emanuel is an oncologist, a bioethicist, and a vice provost of the University of Pennsylvania. He is the author and editor of 10 books, including Brothers Emanuel and Reinventing American Healthcare. And he's one of the key architects of the Affordable Care Act and a special advisor to the director general of the World Health Organization. He has a new podcast called Making the Call, which dives into to the ethical dilemmas surrounding covid-19 dr emmanuel thank you so much for joining us
1: oh it's a wonderful opportunity thank you
2: let's get straight into it doctor you've recently been advocating for the federal government to adopt an 18 month plan for life to return to normal in the united states what's the thinking behind that time frame
1: uh so If you think we're really going to get to normal, where normal is defined as pre-COVID, BC, before COVID, um, that cannot really happen until we have a vaccine uh, available. And that is, by all expert uh, estimations, mine included, 18 months. You need time for testing uh, and evaluation of it. You need time for production. And then you need time for distribution. Um, And so that's an 18-month. Uh, position. That doesn't mean we're going to be in shelter in place for 18 months, but it does mean that normalcy, as we define it before COVID, including things like conventions, sports games in big stadiums, uh, religious services in megachurches, um, and you know schools back to normal and things like that, that's 18 months. So we need to plan between now and that period. And there's a lot of things that have to happen. Uh, and I'm just Not quite sure that uh, we have our arms around it.
2: Now, Doctor, being this Sports Illustrated, I have to bring it to sports. What role does sports play in this model? I mean, obviously, it could be a simplified question, but uh, in terms of a sports fan, athletes, leagues, what role does sports play in this specific 18-month model?
1: Well, for a lot of people, sports is, you know, the real symbol. It's sort of the litmus test of normalcy. Uh, Can I watch my team on television? Can I go to the stadium and watch players? April 7th, I was supposed to go to a 76ers game against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I wa- really wanted to see that game, you know, two of the best teams in the league. And unfortunately, it wasn't going to happen. And so for many people, that's a key indicator of, is it normal? Um, so the way I imagine it's likely to happen is you're going to first have games that with no fans and you're going to broadcast them. Even that requires a huge number of people, right? You've got to have the players, the coaches, uh, and then you've got to have all the you know recording equipment, the broadcast equipment available. That's a large number of people, even in a big stadium. And to keep social distancing and keep norms, making sure everyone who comes in is COVID negative, uh, making sure that uh, no one leaves COVID positive, uh, those are big challenges going forward, and I think we're going to have to sort those things out. I think that's going to be phase one. Phase two is obviously, can we uh, begin doing it with fans? The big challenge behind sports is you have tens of thousands of people in a stadium where you can't do social distancing or physical distancing. And the consequence is fifty, seventy thousand 70,000 people in a stadium watching a game. That is going to probably be among the last things that actually comes back online uh, because we do have a vaccine. Uh, I think having broadcast of events is going to come on soon. And obviously, there are different kinds of sports where you can have the physical distancing uh, much easier than others. Tennis, where people are far apart, much easier uh, than you know basketball and football, where they're crashing into each other all the time.
2: So I'm really interested to to hear your take on this. Uh one from you know a league like the NBA, where at the very beginning, once they discovered Rudy Gobert's testing positive. They did more of an active plan in testing players. Uh, you know, your, your podcast deals a lot, not just with the, you know, logistical aspects of, of, of what's going on medically, but also ethically. How did you see that when teams like, you know, uh, the Thunder or anybody else was just testing players ahead of anybody else?
1: Uh, I thought that was le- real leadership actually on the part of the team in the and the league uh we have a positive here we don't want to be responsible for spreading the disease either to other players or god forbid to the fans who have come to enjoy this and now you know have a potentially life threatening illness so I think the idea of we're closing down the uh sports league uh, and we're gonna try to get our arms around it and do this only in a responsible Manner, I think that was uh, uh, very impressive. And you see, everyone else followed suit because it was quickly recognized that uh, the NBA had done the right thing. You know, it's not easy in the midst of a crisis to show leadership and to take courageous decisions, especially decisions that have literally billions of dollars at stake. Uh, But I think the NBA, uh, you know, showed it was up to it and really understood uh, what the consequences were.
2: As we speak, this past weekend, the president had conversations with uh, multiple league commissioners, including MLB, the NFL. And one of the things that he said afterwards in the statement was that he was uh, almost hoping to the point of having the NFL back in September. And then the governor of California, uh, Gavin Newsom, said, you know, we don't see this as a realistic expectation. What do you make of it in terms of people, especially NFL fans, thinking that the season could start as early as September?
1: Again. Live games with fans is going to be the last thing to come back. And I think we do have this sort of, um, I don't know what exactly to call it out of the White House. Uh, uh, You know, there's a lot of hopeful thinking, but I don't think a lot of realistic, critical analysis of the situation. Um, So the president saying, you know, we're going to start the NFL season in September, Uh, not going to happen. And I think we just need to be realistic with P-, P The public is much better if you tell them realistically what's going to happen uh, and what to expect and not dangle out these hopes that, you know, almost assuredly, I mean, I 99.9% assuredly it ain't going to happen. My uh, sort of uh, mental picture of this is I'm sitting on an airplane. What do I want the pilot to tell me? Oh, we're going to be off in three minutes and then it takes an hour? No, I want him to say, here's what We have to do before we can get off the plane. And here's why it's going to take, you know, an hour. I'm really sorry about it. Rather than every three minutes sort of dangling, it's going to happen, and then me be totally frustrated by it. Now, it is possible in September we might have broadcast. Um, That's still a huge logistical and public health challenge. Um, So I don't want to minimize it, and I don't want to guarantee that it's going to happen. But that's where I think the league has to be thinking about it, and that's where I think fans have to be thinking about it. Would it be better, way better, to have broadcast games? Absolutely, with no fans. Yeah, is that optimal? No, we want to have the kind of fan experience we have before uh, uh, coronavirus. But you know, let's be realistic about it, let's not be uh, you know having some false reality.
2: I really enjoyed your airline pilot metaphor. I really hope every airline pilot in the U.S. gets that one. Realism in a plane is definitely something I really wish for. Listen, one thing that you were talking about was about making sure sports fans understood the reality of what was happening. What message do you have to them who may be discouraged by the time of 18-month timeline that you um, have been stating? look,
1: it's not me. This is nature. (laughs) I mean, it's not like Zeke Emanuel wants to punish you. And (laughs) that's why I'm saying 18 months. I'm just trying to be realistic so we can all set our realistic expectations. It deprives more people than others. I'm probably on the low end of deprivation. You know, I don't own a TV. I'm not obsessed by it, but I'm related closely to a brother who is, you know, loves sports, watches sports all the time. He's totally pissed that he's not going to be able to see the cubs uh this baseball season i understand the frustration i really really do but i think we need to be uh realistic and you need to recognize yes we're going to all lose another year of games and you know we're probably going to have football come back uh realistically uh fall 2021 maybe a little late maybe we'll have a truncated season in 2021 but That's what we have to look forward to. That's great. You know, it's not a lifetime of no games, it's a year, 18 months.
2: Finally, Dr. Emmanuel, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, you're working, uh, doing uh, a podcast, making the call. Tell us about it and the most surprising thing you've learned so far in making it
1: that doing a podcast is really hard. That's what I've learned. <laughs> uh, you guys make it look so easy when you're on the other end of the microphone. It's really, I would use an expletive, really hard. Uh, so that's the main thing I've actually learned, that everyone who's listening to a podcast, you should really appreciate how much work goes into top quality podcasts like this one, because it it looks simple, but it ain't simple at all. Um, so- My expertise is not football, it's not baseball, it's not sports, it's bioethics. It's the dilemmas that we get confronted uh, when we do medicine and biomedical research and things like that. And so we were getting a lot of questions about the ethics around COVID. You know, when is it ethical to quarantine someone? When is it ethical to isolate them? When is it ethical to ration ventilators? Is it ethical to pull out a ventilator from a patient? When we have a vaccine, who gets it first? just a slew of ethical questions. I mean, every place you look when it comes to COVID is uh, an ethical dilemma. Uh, I have a partner who's an outstanding bioethicist who I've known for uh, more than 30 years, he reminds me. Um, And he's seen it all. Uh, And we're doing a podcast where we're talking, but we're also talking to uh, real experts uh, in various I- areas like the ethics of actually rationing ventilators, the ethics of quarantine. What's the law? Who can control quarantine? Can we actually force people to get a vaccine if we develop a vaccine, if people object or are worried about the side effects? Um, we're talking to you know, people who've experienced COVID-19 and seen the ethical dilemmas. We're talking to a mayor who wanted to put his town on shelter in place, but the governor wouldn't about that kind of dilemma. So we're really uh, trying to explore all the ethical dilemmas uh, related to COVID-19. You know, where did the word quarantine come from? It turns out it's an old Italian Word that means forty days, and the forty days of isolating someone is something that comes from the Bible. You know, I learned that as part of the podcast, which I thought was pretty uh, interesting uh, element. That these issues of isolating people for a long time—that's not new. It's not COVID nineteen. It's biblical. We think we think it's exciting, and I hope it answers a lot of questions that people who are very interested. And, you know, preoccupied by COVID-19. I'm sure you've had these questions and, and I'm sure that part of what we can do is to help you understand them more deeply and maybe give you some solid answers to some of the questions you've had.
2: Well, uh, I love the podcast. It's very valuable, Making the Call, and I can tell you as a Peruvian and a Catholic, I do read the Bible, even if it's forced by my family. So, But Dr. Zeke <laughs> uh, I really appreciate your time. The podcast is Making the Call. Make sure you listen to it. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, and I really appreciate a top podcast because you do a great job, and it's really hard to do, man.
2: <laughs> I appreciate that. When it comes to the return of sports during coronavirus, the question of ethics is often missed because our love of the game sometimes blinds the reality of the situation, and we fail to see what really matters, which is to overcome this crisis from a health perspective. As Dr. Emmanuel states, wishful thinking is exactly that, wishful, and whether you want the NBA to return or for the NFL season to kickstart in September, it's all inconsequential. The only thing that dictates when action will return is the virus itself and how we, as a society, respond to it. We'll return after these short messages.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons.
2: Prior to the pandemic, women's soccer was going through a positive trajectory. After the success of last year's World Cup in France, leagues from around the world, from England's Women's Super League to the NWSL, everyone had a reason to feel optimistic. And as for the best team in the globe, the US Women's National Team, who was preparing for the Olympics, the battle both on and off the field was gaining momentum. But then, The coronavirus came and everything paused. How can the women's game, then, find a way to retain the driving power and most importantly help players, clubs and leagues who are in need of financial stability during these unprecedented times? Joining me now is two-time World Cup star, two-time gold medalist at the Olympics, Fox Sports commentator, the first woman to serve as English-speaking commentator in a Men's World Cup in the U.S., Allie Wagner. Ali, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I've been so busy.
2: You have indeed. And let's get into it for sure, Allie. Let's start at the beginning. What was the U.S. women's national team doing in the run-up to the Olympics before COVID-19 broke out?
0: at the beginning of the year, they actually hadn't qualified for the Olympics yet. After the World Cup, they took a month off in December, but then they had the qualifying end of January, end of February. Then they had the She Believes Cup, um, where they're playing really high quality opponents. So they're playing England, Japan, uh, and Spain. And then we had some more friendlies that were booked uh, that we obviously haven't been able to get to, which was against Australia, Brazil. But Pretty good matches, really good opponents after you had the qualifying rounds that was um, helping the team kind of ramp up, if you will, heading into the Olympics. And now we're in that stall phase where everyone is.
2: Ali, how does the postponement of the Olympics affect the squad?
0: You know, I think that is, it's actually a fascinating question. uh, Because look, no team's ever won a World Cup and gone back the next year and, and won a gold medal. We all know that. And this team was really well positioned to do that. I think they were still kind of existing at that high, but I don't think their momentum will be stopped by this. There's a couple key pieces to that. One is Alex Morgan. Now she has a year to get back from having a baby if she so chooses to try to make that Olympic spot. So she'll provide more depth at the nine spot if in fact she can return to form So that's a bonus, right? You have another player that you can pull in that has a ton of experience and is a weapon. With Vlako getting another year to train, and and a year is maybe generous because we don't know how long we're going to be in these um, shelter-in-place situations where we can't get out and train and compete. So... If the longer that he has as a manager of this team, I think the better off they're going to be able to implement his vision. And I do think that he's, he's a really premier coach that can take this team to that next level and really get them ready to push the game forward to, to be more unpredictable as they head into the Olympics. So I think they're, they can benefit from this added time, but. You know, look around the world and look at Japan, even though they didn't perform that well in the She Believes, you can see what what that program is trying to accomplish. And they have a lot of young players. So you can look at some of the, the teams that are going to be in the Olympics and look at the younger squads and say they're going to benefit from this time uh, to actually get these players more experience and more versed at the international game. So I think Japan could benefit. I do think Netherlands can benefit. And England will be another one or Great Britain because that's how they enter the Olympics You know, with Phil, they have stalled after, I would say, the World Cup. And now they have a time to kind of to go back to the drawing map and get some of their younger players brought into the fold that have been performing incredibly well in their W League. But again, it all comes back to what kind of time are we looking at? How long are we away from the game with this COVID?
2: So on the field, we are familiar with their work. But off the field, there's the giant lawsuit against the U.S. Soccer Federation. Do you think COVID-19 is affecting the momentum in regards to the legal battle?
0: I think that's a really good question. Um, I would say it hasn't helped the situation. You know, we saw the the language that was in the lawsuit and they then made a massive statement in the She Believes and sponsors are jumping aboard saying this is unacceptable. So there was a ton of, like, as you said, a ton of momentum that was generating up around this group of, of players, the program. So I do think they lose a bit of that, but I also think, what is our goal at the end of the day? What is the team's goal? The team's goal is to get this result, to get the respect and and to get to a level that they feel comfortable with. This almost gives the Federation an amount of time to to maybe get together and, and come up with a resolution that works for both parties. So who knows, maybe the lawsuit almost becomes irrelevant and becomes settled in this time and no one needs that momentum and the message has been sent, it's clear. And let's just see if U.S. soccer can come up with the right response.
2: Let's shift to the NWSL. Much like MLB, uh, the league was about to prepare for the season in April. How has COVID-19 affected the league?
0: Well, it kind of goes along with your previous question, which is momentum. The game was developing a ton of momentum after the World Cup getting a lot of attention because of this lawsuit. These players were then going to go into the NWSL and I think a lot of eyes were going to be on those those programs, those teams. And you're losing that. So I think it's a I think it's a big hit for the NWSL. Um, I don't think that something that's irrecoverable, you know, but I do think pushing back the start, they have a new network they were going to be on. It was going to be on CBS. And it was going to be a new platform for them to kind of showcase the talents in the league. So I do think that is is less than ideal. But this is a, this has been a resilient league and these have been resilient owners and and they're going to have to use this time. Like we talk about the Federation to, I think, better prepare themselves for what this shortened season looks like. If it is a shortened season Perhaps they benefit in this time from not having an Olympic break because we are going to have an Olympic break in the NWL season. They're not going to have that anymore. So, so this is a time they can perhaps capitalize on some of that, uh, generated momentum from the World Cup, and have that continuity throughout uh, the year. So, this is something that we should be able to to navigate.
2: The other part of it is not everyone is an Alex Morgan or a Megan Rapino. What happens, Ali, to those players who are perhaps in the lower part of the player pool who rely on the income from their respective clubs? What happens to them, and how will they be affected?
0: It's a really good question, too, because I don't know what the NWSL is doing in in the meantime to support their players. I haven't talked to the individual clubs. Those are going to be club decisions. Um, but the reality is, as you know, those players don't make that much money anyway. So they're used to probably making ends meet right and and I'm not saying that's a good situation I'm just saying this isn't um I don't think this is going to be a entirely unfamiliar situation for some of those players and hopefully the the club is going to do what they can to support those players at the bottom the ones that need it the most as we should all be doing in our communities if you can help you do that is what's going to be I think getting those players through and and look I think as far as you're talking about sustainable living, which is obviously the preeminent focus. But I think as far as the players in terms of developing during this time, this can be a really good tool for some of them. You know, the, the NWSL league is, is known as a league that's fast, it's transition, it's physical. You can take care of those things, the, 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 the pace, your strength, all of that. You can train those things on your own. And the beauty of it is you can train your skill on your own. You can find a wall, you know, you can find a small space. You don't need a lot. And so I think the players that need to focus on their skill can actually utilize this time to their advantage. And and perhaps in the end, we're not immediately, but we'll see some of the players come out better for it. You know, there's not a whole lot you can do right now, but the things you can do, you can do them well.
2: Just as you mentioned, resiliency is the key. Finally, Ali, you're also a commentator with Fox Sports, talking about the game, analyzing the game. A lot of exciting things were going to happen for you in 2020 from your career perspective. How has this affected your own work? And do you miss the booth?
0: You know, yeah, I had exciting things coming up with, you know, I was going to do my first MLS game. Obviously, um, we were going to have a game here at San Jose. It was going to be USA-Brazil on Fox. And then the the start of the NWSL season was coming. So there was a lot of great things on the horizon, and I miss it. I miss traveling. I hate flying, but I miss traveling. I miss um, having some peace and quiet. But I actually am loving this time too with being home with my family. I think it's the first time that I've been so goal oriented in my life that I am not looking forward for something. I'm not thinking about accomplishing something. I'm actually as most people probably are. I'm just being and doing what is in front of me. And it feels really good. Um, so I'm loving that, that balance. It resets your soul to a certain extent. And I'm, I think I'm less um, on edge, although my kids would probably tell you differently. Um, so I'm more present, so I love that. But I will tell you, I thought I was gonna get back to playing the piano more. I thought I was gonna learn more French. And I also thought I was going to go back and start analyzing different tactics of different managers and just dig into a lot of the video I have access to. I haven't had time to do that, but I did go back and watch um, the Liverpool Atletico, the the home and away, uh, and I loved it. If anyone is a nerd like me, go look at the two different ways that Liverpool tried to get up at Atletico. It's amazing. I was like, I found it very fascinating and very cool, and to watch the way Atletico shut them down, it was. Um,
2: It was cool. Ali Wagner, two-time Olympic gold medalist, two-time World Cup player, more than 130 matches for the U.S. women's national team, commentator, analyst. Thank you so much for joining us. The need for women's soccer to maintain strength and marketability goes beyond COVID-19. And the truth is, it's down to the entire soccer world to take care of its community building from a successful world cup is an important narrative but it should not be the only thread to hold on to overcoming the outbreak is the number one priority but so is making sure that the women's game is allotted time to flourish in the calendar last year the women's world cup succeeded in spite of competing against two other male tournaments copa america and the gold cup and the summer of 2021 already looks oversaturated with the Olympics and Men's European Championships. During this cluster, it's vital, therefore, to make sure women's soccer has its own time to shine, whether we have a pandemic or not. Thanks to Dr. Zeke Emanuel and Ali Wagner for joining me today. We'll continue bringing you these stories throughout the coronavirus crisis. If you like what we're doing, please recommend us to a friend or family member and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. You can listen to Coronavirus and Sports for free wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to subscribe or follow us for the latest episodes. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.